0: are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Good morning. Uh, I'm sorry about my voice. Uh, I've been uh, fighting a cold for about a week, and so uh, we'll just do the best we can do to make sure that you're able to hear me, okay? Um, We always fight colds, but when we get the flu, we just have the flu. There's no fight left in us when we get the flu, right? (laughs) I want you to uh, open your Bible to the book of Matthew, if you will. And then once you get your Bible opened, or if you're reading it off your phone, I want you just to kind of get that situated and, uh, and then just look back at me, okay? And when I get all eyes on me, I'll know it's time to go. So, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Easy to find. First book of the New Testament. Get it open, in your lap, ready, and then just look back up at me, okay? And we're going to start this morning, our first Sunday of Advent. Now, Advent literally means coming. And so in Advent we celebrate the coming of Jesus into the world and we anticipate His coming again. Every year during this season, Christians go back 2,000 years ago and join a group of people, the nation of Israel, who are waiting and longing and hoping for the coming of the Messiah. For God to come to them. So, we're going to be in Matthew for a few weeks, beginning with chapter 1, verse 1. Do you remember why Matthew writes his account of the gospel in the first place? It's really simple. He wants to present Jesus as the Messiah to the Jewish people. John writes from a very different perspective. His desire is writing to Gentiles who don't have a Jewish memory, who don't know who King David was. Matthew, on the other hand, has a very different purpose in mind. He desires to present Jesus to the Jewish people as the Messiah. So there's a movie that was out recently, and the title of the movie was called War Room. Room. And many of you saw it, and many of you have come to me and said, Hey, Pastor, did you see the movie War Room? And I said to you, Yes, I saw it. A lady literally cleaned out a closet in her home and made that her closet of prayer. And she would go into that room knowing that this battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of this dark world. So many of you have said to me, I began to pray differently since I saw the movie. I began to become more intense about my praying, more intentional about my praying. So what if, as we move into this, Beginning of a new year. January 1 is not far away. You said, what I want to do is add to my prayer more intentional Bible reading. And so you come up with a plan. Some people want to read the Bible through in a year, and that works really well for you. Uh, Others would say that feels like a a reading marathon, just a, a long run, and I don't get as much out of it. I need to take it in smaller sections. Some of you might say I'm going to start in the Old Testament. Some of you would start in the New. But just suppose that... Someone who is very new to reading the Bible decides, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to start in the New Testament. Then we'll go to Matthew chapter 1, and I'm going to read through the New Testament. I'm going to get Matthew's perspective of the gospel, Mark's perspective, Luke's perspective, John's perspective, the book of Acts in the church, Romans, Corinthians, and all the way through the epistles to Revelation. And you sit down, and you open the Bible, and you begin to read. Excited. I'm digging into the Word. God's going to speak to me through the Word. And you read these words from Matthew chapter 1. You ready? We'll put the words on the screen for you. Verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, there's a lot there. Jesus comes from the Hebrew word Joshua, which means Savior. Messiah, the Greek, is Christos, which means anointed one. Genealogy, in Greek, is really Genesis, which means origin or beginning. So this is the beginning of the Savior of the world, God's anointed one. The Son of David is a messianic title, which means comes from the line of David. The Messiah would come from the line of David. Son of Abraham, even a wider meaning than that, kind of the... Intention is that through Abraham, God would bless every nation of the world. And verse 2 simply says this. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah whose mother was Tamar. And, and maybe at that point, you begin to say, I'm reading names, I really don't know who they are. And you glance down and you see it's more names. And more names. And more names. And you begin to ask yourself, what could possibly the meaning of the genealogy be? And you're tempted just to kind of skim to the end of the genealogy and start with verse 17 or 18. And then you keep reading. Perez was the father. I'm trying to remember who Perez was the father of. Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. I I didn't memorize the genealogy, but you might find it interesting to know that this, of course, was given hundreds of years before you had any kind of a printed book. And so it was written in a style called Mnemonic, not demonic, okay? Mnemonic. Mnemonic simply means this. It's written in a way that it would be easy to memorize. And so here's how it is written. There are three stages to Israel's history in the genealogy. What you have is Abraham until you get to David. And then you have David until you get to the exile of Babylon. And then you have the exile all the way to the Messiah. And in each section, there are 14 generations. Get this. He left out some of them so he could make it even. 14 in each. What is more important than that, though, is that there are six sets of seven. And so the name Jesus comes as the first name in the seventh set. Now, you may say, okay, three sets of 14, six sets of seven. Jesus is the first in the seventh set. Does that mean anything? Well, to you and I, we probably would struggle to find great meaning. But in their world, numbers meant something. So, several years ago, I developed a friendship with a man who was Jewish. He was a really super, super nice guy. And we talked a lot about faith and we talked a lot about Jesus in our conversations with each other. One day, he sent me a check in the mail and with the check there was a card and the check was for a really odd amount of money um, in fact when I opened it and I saw the check and in the memo it said personal gift but the check was for under $20 and it was for an odd amount it was like $16.72 that wasn't the right number um, and I don't have the card he sent me anymore and I'm just about positive I cashed that check but he wrote me a note explaining the significance of the number in regard to the meaning of our friendship. I should have kept the card. So in that world, numbers, numbers meant something. And so as you continue to read, here's what you have. Ram was the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Now, you remember that name really well, don't you? Because Jesse was the father of who? King David. When we get to the second set, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Do you remember her name? Bathsheba. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of, can you pronounce that? Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father... You know what that one is. (laughs) Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile of Babylon. Take a breath and stretch it out, okay? Here's where you get to breathe. And then you get Babylon, exile, all the way down to Jesus. And after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheoltehah. Sheoltehah, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihad, Abihu, the father of Elechim. Eliakim the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, rather, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Verse 17. Thus, there were fourteen generations in all, from Abraham to David, fourteen from David to the exile, to Babylon, and fourteen from the exile to the Messiah. So here's the bottom line. Suppose this season of the year you meet somebody who is maybe born and raised in another country. And they say to you, so this Christmas that you celebrate, um, it's about the birthday of Jesus, right? Right? And you say, oh, yes, that's what it is. It's, it's a celebration of the birthday of Jesus. Now, we're not so gullible to think that we know he was actually born on December the 25th. We don't know exactly what day, but this is the day that we celebrate his birth. And we're in this beautiful cycle with the, calendar, the Christian calendar where we celebrate the birth of Christ at this time of the year, every year. And, and they say to you, then tell me something. Who is this Jesus What are you going to say? Because that is the question that Matthew desires to answer in the genealogy. He is saying to his Jewish brothers and sisters this is who Jesus is, this is his identity. And even beyond all of those things that he is saying, he is saying, in reality, he is the fulfillment of all of God's prophecies and promises. The whole list culminates in him. And we serve a God who through the ages has made prophecies and promises, and Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. Now, I, I think a question maybe would be this morning that we could kind of think about some is the importance of a person who keeps promises very well. So I think I told you once about a friend of mine that I met when I was pastor in one of my first churches. He was, a, he was an older man. He was in his early 80s at the time. His hair was snow white. There wasn't a lot left of it, but what he had was very white. And I would go over to his house to see him and to visit his wife who had Alzheimer's and was really confined to a bed. And, and, I, and I found out pretty early on that I, that I was no longer going to be a blessing to them, but I was going to spend time with, with this friend of mine whose name was Charlie. And Charlie was just a man who was full of wisdom. He loved the Lord deeply. His daughter became very concerned about him, and she said to him, she said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you to the doctor." And so she took him to the doctor and the doctor said to him, uh, you've become depressed. And the reason you've become depressed is because you're not getting out of your home. You have people coming in to help you, but you're not getting out and going anywhere. Only twice a week. One day he would go to church, he would get two hours of help, and on Tuesday mornings he would go to the grocery. Other than that, he was right there at home with her, taking care of her. And the doctor said, it's time. You're going to have to put her in a care center. And he said to the doctor, I can't, I can't do it. There's no way I can't do it. Well, why can't you do it? Because he said, I made her a promise. She was so concerned as she realized she was beginning to lose her memory. She became so concerned that one day she would go into a care center and she said, would you just promise me that you will take care of me in our home as long as you possibly can? And he said, I looked into her eyes and I said to her, I promise. I will take care of you in our home as long as I possibly, possibly can. And the doctor says to him, (laughs) She doesn't know who you are. She doesn't remember what you said to her. And Charlie said to me, Pastor, I leaned forward with a smile on my face, and I said to the doctor, But I remember, and I'm staying at home with her. See, I think that everybody in the room has had the opposite experience (laughs) at some point. And somebody has looked at you and made a promise or made a commitment or given given you their word or said to you, this is what I will do. And in the very moment it left their lips, you knew in your heart it really didn't mean much at all. And you weren't going to count on it. And so in our relationships, keeping your promise is very important. I remember going to Washington, D.C. years ago with a group of guys from a church where I was pastoring. And we went there because there was going to be this million-man march on the mall in Washington. And you know what we called the whole group, the whole organization? It was Promise Keepers. We understood the value of keeping a promise, a commitment that you made as a man in our society. And so if that is important in our interpersonal relationships with one another, the ability to keep promises, how much more is it that we serve a God who keeps his promises? How important is it to you? Would you ever consider trusting God with your life, your soul, your eternity, your future, your kids, your money, with everything? If you knew He was a God who would not keep a promise. No. And so Matthew is saying that Jesus is the Messiah. <laughs> Jesus is the very symbol of the fact that God always keeps His promise. I think I need a little help, okay? Could I get a little help? So there's a group of three people here. I'll let you decide which one of you will come up. And there's a group of four people over here. I'll let you guys decide which one of you will come up. And Alan, I will pick up this handheld mic if it's okay, and I'll bring it right up here, okay? So um, if you really don't want to, it's okay. I I can go to another group. Okay, we've got a volunteer. We've got a volunteer over here. Okay, come in. Mark, if you'll stand on this side of me, and Bob, if you'll stand on this side of me, I just want to kind of do a little uh, exercise to uh, try to gain uh, some information and, and maybe prove a point. So I'm, I'm going to ask you in a moment to tell me the names of your father and your mother, and then tell me the names of one set of your grandparents, okay? And then, this may influence which way you go, if you can name the names of your great-grandparents, and so that may have a bearing on which grandparents you choose. And then, if you could, your great-great-grandparents. And then, if you could, your great-great-great-grandparents. Okay? So that's what we're going to do. So, Bob, I'll start with you. Would you just tell me the name of your mother and your father? It would be Robert and Donna. And last name would, of course, be Dixon. Dixon. And the name of your grandparents would be? Be Charles and Alma Dixon. Okay. And your great-grandparents don't know. Don't know the names of your grandmother. I'm going to have to tell you that I'm a little bit with Bob on this because I, I began yesterday thinking about uh, and, and I only came up with one of, of my grandma and grandpa Hill, Alec, not Alec, Alec, I know, and Katie. Uh, my grandpa Hill, his mother's name was America Yates Hill, and the only reason I remember I think her name was because her first name was America. So I said to my mother, what did they call her? And my mother said, I called her grandma, so we don't know. So your, your, your parents' names are? Garen and Verna Brown. And your grandparents' name, any of the four? Lawson and Irene Brown. And your great-grandparents' name would be? V.S. Brown and Dottie. V.S. and Dottie. Mm-hmm. And then your great-great-grandparents? John. Ancestry.com. John and James, um, and then another John, and then Sir Thomas, and that's seven generations. I think think that goes back seven. Well, we're all impressed, aren't we? (laughs) Thank you guys so much for helping me. You can hang that up if you will. You know, I think the point that I'm just trying to make is that we live in a culture that is very different than the culture that Jesus came into this world in. And Jesus came into a world where that genealogy was extremely important. So if Matthew is going to present Jesus as the Messiah, or even present Jesus in any way, there's no more, listen to me, okay, because this is going to interest you, there's no more interesting or compelling way in Jesus' day to talk about someone or to tell their story than to share their genealogy. <laughs> and you and I are going, really? You're telling me that was very interesting to people? Yeah if I started this morning uh, people would lean forward if we were in Jesus day you would want to hear that would be very compelling interesting because what is your genealogy here's what it did it talked about your identity <clears throat> it talked about um your legitimacy maybe it, it maybe would even inform what rights you might have it was very important that you understood your genealogy here here it is to this point of view okay if if a person desired to be a priest They would have to be able to trace their genealogy all the way back to Aaron. And if they were married, their wives would have to trace their genealogy back at least five generations. And so Nehemiah tells us about priests who were relieved from the priesthood because they could not produce and prove a viable genealogy back to Aaron. That's how important it was. When Babylonian... Exile takes place, all of a sudden, genealogy becomes more important. Because what happens when you go into exile? You want to remember your identity very well. We are going to be loaded and taken to another place to live, but we don't want to forget who we are. And we don't want to forget what we believe. And we want our children to know where they came from, even though we are here. And so for Matthew to present Jesus as the Messiah, you can't believe the importance that is laid on him to be able to prove the genealogy of Jesus. Because all Jews believed what the prophets had said. And that was that the Messiah would come from the line of David. And be born in Bethlehem, the hometown of David. And so it was up on Matthew to make sure that his Jewish readers understood who Jesus was. I remember um, going to some people's house one night for dinner when I was a a young boy. And um, we we really didn't call that dinner. I was raised in in Kentucky and, and we called that supper. And the only time we ate dinner was once a week, and that was at noon on Sunday. But we went to their house, really, I guess you would say for supper. And so while we were there, we all sat down at the table. And uh, I'm not, you know, saying it was good or bad. I'm just saying at my house, we prayed pretty quickly. <laughs> we didn't linger a long time before we got to the prayer. And, and uh, we sat down at their table, and they did something very, very unusual for us. And, and, I, and I went online and I found a picture of it. It was the first time I'd seen it as a young boy. And over the years, I've seen it many times. But here's what it looked like. This little this little thing sitting on their table. It said, our daily bread. And it was a promise box. And, and all those are little cards. So how many of you have had one of those throughout your life? I bet many of you have. And so they said to us, everybody take a promise. And you could take it from anywhere in the box. And then we all went around the table and we read one of the promises from God's Word. And after... We read the promise. The man of the house prayed a prayer, of thanks for the food, and then we all ate together. And I think what that family was saying was that we stand in this house on the promises that God has given us, and we would go to church on Sunday, and you know what we would sing. <laughs> Standing on the promises of God. I I think the question that we kind of move through as we think about this genealogy that Matthew has given us of Jesus, I think we ask questions like, so what what does this say to me? And I I think if you're a believer, um, you think about it a little differently than a person who has not yet committed themselves to following Jesus. And I think here's how a believer may think about it. As you read through the Old Testament, and as Matthew takes us all the way back to the genealogy of Jesus, beginning with with Abraham, we remember the promises that God makes to Abraham. One, One particular promise that God makes to Abraham, and it was simply this, that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham, through your descendants, and you can see them unfold in those next few verses, The whole world, all the nations are going to be blessed through you. When you think about him being referred to as the son of David, you think about the promises that God made to David and to his house and to his throne. It would never end. And then you get into this period of exile. And it seems like to the people of Israel that maybe all the promises of God have been lost. One scholar says, drowned in the sea of Israel's sin and God's great judgment. But not the case, because through the exile, what do the prophets do? They continue to make known that God will fulfill His promises. And that God will restore the house of Abraham and of David. And restore His reign. so finally, when you get to this great section of the Bible, Matthew says, here it is. He points to it. It's at this moment right here. Here is when it happens. Here is God doing great work. The fulfillment of His prophecies and promises. Keeping His Word to His people. The Messiah has come. And so, here's what I think that looks like in our lives. We find ourselves going through life, and sometimes life is extremely challenging. And where do we turn? We grab something that's very precious to us. And we begin to flip through the pages. We begin to ask ourselves questions like, so what did God say? And we find words like, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And there's seasons of our lives where we grab hold of those words and we say, Okay, if you promise that you're going to be with me through this, I can make it. We find words like, call unto me, and I will show you great and mighty things that you don't know. Okay, Lord, I'm going to call on you, and I know you're going to answer me, because in your word, you promised me you would. When I think about standing before God one day, I think about words that I read in the Bible that say things like, um, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I'm telling you, I'm banking on that one when I stand before God one day, aren't you? And I think what it says to us as believers is simply this God can be trusted. Take him at his word. He fulfills His promises. So, what, what, Rick? If I'm not yet a committed follower of Jesus, haven't bought into all of that quite yet, what does it mean to me? One of the most interesting things about the lineage is that women are mentioned. And the reason that is interesting is because you understand in the day of Jesus, women were not really treated like people. They were treated more like property. What's even more interesting are some of the women who are named. Women like Rahab. Do you remember who Rahab was? She was a prostitute. The Israelite spies are coming through Canaan. She hides them, protects them. Somehow she gets in the family list of Jesus. And you have, you have others that are somewhat surprising as well, like Ruth. Ruth was not even a Jew. She was a Moabite. And you have Tamar, who was an adulteress. You have Bathsheba, who becomes the mistress of David. I think when we talk about our families and we begin to kind of tell you the story of our families, we tend to talk about those that we're most proud of, right? Those that kind of have the good records. Those that, you know, have done well in life. But when God talks about His family, He just includes everybody. The adulterers, the prostitutes, the heroes, the Gentiles... The really bad kings. The really good kings. God works His will through everyday people. And I think what He gives us here is just an eye-opening to what is coming. And that is that the essence of the gospel is that all the barriers are being broken down between Jew and Gentile and male and female and slave and free. (laughs) Saint. And sinner. And when he mentions this idea of being the son of Abraham, what Matthew is really doing is holding the light out to the whole world that all the nations of the world are welcome to be part of the family of God. God has been very careful. To invite you to be part of His family. He wants you in the bunch. No matter what your past is, He invites you to come. So what we believe informs our behavior. And so I thought this week a little bit about Bethany First Church and the fact that we believe that God can be trusted and he keeps his promises and they are fulfilled in Jesus, the Messiah. And that he invites everybody to the table to be part of the family meal. And so next Sunday we have an event called Angel Tree where we invite families who have one parent that is incarcerated. And while they're here, we talk about Jesus, the Messiah, the fulfillment of all of God's promises. That's why we find ourselves in a country called Swaziland, because we believe that everybody is invited to the table. That's why we go to a place called Paraguay. That's why we go to the Native American Reservation. Because we believe everybody of every race, every color, is invited to be part of God's family. That's why we're in Two Lakes. This morning, having church. And today is a really special day for a group of people down in Midtown. Did you know that today is launch Sunday? Sunday. Today is the day that the church in Midtown goes on record to say we are set up for church. Come and worship with us every week. And Tonight is going to be an incredible service there at 5 o'clock. I would love to say to you, you ought to come, but you can't come. (laughs) And the reason you can't come is because they don't have very much room. And they've invited lots of people who don't have a church to come. Because they believe with all their hearts that everybody is invited to be a part of God's family. And it doesn't matter what your past has been. The barriers are down. Everybody is welcome. And you can trust God with your life, with your soul. Pretty exciting, isn't it? Yeah. Well, why don't we stand together? And you know I love, love, love. To end our time together, giving people an opportunity to pray. I just think sometimes if we would just pray, if we would just come and talk to God for a little while, it would change so much in our lives. And I feel like we live in a world that's sometimes just too too rushed, too pushed. And I always talk to people. Are you praying about it? People are very open sometimes with me and say, I don't pray much. You've got to pray. So this morning, you may need to come and claim one of God's promises. As a believer, here's where I'm at, Rick. And I just need to come and just embrace one of God's promises to me. And just hold on to it with everything I have. Some of you may be in the other camp that would say, I'm invited. (laughs) I can be in this family. But then I want to be in the family. So if you want to come and pray this morning, now, you know I love it to be very broad. You can come and pray for anything you desire to pray for. If you want to be prayed for physical healing, there are pastors here and you just find one of them. Judy will be over here. Lewis will be over here. They'd love to anoint you and, and pray for you if you want to pray for your kids this morning. I hope that you're praying about who you're going to be inviting to Christmas Sunday and to Christmas Eve. I hope that God is putting people on your heart. God is putting people on my heart. Let's come and let's spend some time talking to the Lord before we go this morning, okay? There is a for you before you go, okay? Father, uh, during the season of Advent, as we focus on the promise, open our hearts, our eyes, our hearts, to see you as we've not seen you before. Reveal your very nature to us, I pray. In Jesus' name. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org